Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Uh, I know that some in our audience know the finer points of hockey. The Chris Johnston Show. We are your friends. The biggest stories bringing you inside the game. What did you hear? The Chris Johnston Show. What is going on? Here's Chris with your host, Julian McKenzie. Part of the game. Big Money CJ. I'm trying to think of all the other AKAs I have for the incomparable Chris Johnston. I'll save that for another episode. But I have a question for you, buddy, to start off here. When did the most interesting Twitter account in the hockey Twitter universe become Chris Pronger's. When did this happen? When did we all get enamored with the retired Chris Pronger and his insight into how much money an actual NHL player takes home after a contract negotiation? When did this happen? It's been days, man. And it's been an adventure on there. I have to say, you remember that old Ilya Brzezgalov quote? Why do you have to be so mad? Well, you have to be so mad. It's only game. It's only a game. I, I can't figure out why everybody is like rushing to dunk on Chris Pronger. It makes no sense to me. Like to me, he's giving context. I read through both of the two long threads specific to what players make. I, I fine tooth combed it to see if, if I felt like he was trying to curry any sympathy. I think he was really just trying to educate and contextualize some of the things an athlete faces that the average person might not think about. And and no part there did I hear him say athletes need to get paid more or feel bad for them. It was just more like, hey, look, when you when you hear this contract announced, the contract isn't on the surface exactly what it seems. And, you know, I get that other people are there like, you don't have to pay this for the car or this or this or that or, or, you know, your food doesn't have to cost as much. But even beyond that, like I'm not sure the average person knows that players lose about 10 percent to escrow right off the bat, not counting tax another 3% to their agent. I mean, again, I just think it was an interesting look from a guy who's very smart, always was, was well-spoken as a player, you know, pretty clear to me that he, he took a lot of interest in his own finances as well to, to have that understanding and to want to share it. And so I don't get this rush to, to hate on him. I, I still, I think that, that NHL players or professional athletes in general at the top levels of the top leagues, I understand that they make a lot of money more than the average person. The truth is they've put a lot more in their career than the average person too. Um, you know, someone who makes the NHL has made a lot of sacrifices along the way, generally speaking. And so, you know, I think that it's an outsized investment in themselves. You get outsized returns. I've got no problem with it. It's a business. People didn't pay X to get in the building, which puts all that money in an owner's pockets. It doesn't trickle down to the players. And so anyway, that's, that's kind of my rant here, but I just like, why do you have to, it's April, it's spring guys. Like you don't have to rush to Twitter to get all angry about every little thing. And, and honestly, it's easy to unfollow. And, and on top of that, I actually give credit to a former player. He's not, he's not using his Twitter account to sell you something. He's actually trying to help your understanding of one side of the sport. And to be honest, Julian, that's a side of the sport I've always been interested in. Like not, not like figuring out how rich a guy is, but just like how it all works. And, and I think it was pretty cool the way he laid it out. And I don't see any problem there whatsoever, honestly, in what he said. There's no problem in what he said at all. It's my thinking, at least from the way I see it, we're in a weird time now because of the pandemic that we're in. Even if, you know what, I'll even throw the pandemic out of this because people were complaining about athlete salaries and, and them fighting for money decades before we had a pandemic, you know, deal with inflation and all of that. It's the fact that when people see a, an athlete make a significant amount of money and they think about their own situation, I'm talking about just people generally, they'll think about their own situation, the money that they have, they kind of think it's sour grapes whenever they see an athlete 
you know, gripe over a couple million adult, millions of dollars here and there or something like that. So for someone to say, hey, well, this is all the money that's going to get taken out of us because of escrow and taxes, and it still amounts to maybe a little bit more than what an average person might make. And by the way, I'm saying this is just in the mindset of someone else, not necessarily me here, but yeah. I think a lot of people just kind of get for lack of a better term, affected by that. And they think, well, I don't want to hear about this. I have my own money issues here. But to, to your point, like Chris Pronger and other and thousands of NHL players who have played across the NHL and have made the money that they've made, this is the situation that they're in. And so like, yeah, like I, I, I kind of, you have to just take it for what it is. Like, you know, Chris Pronger's not making the salary of a bookkeeper, for example. He made the money that he made in the NHL. And then when you hear about a player making $30 million over a certain amount of years, this is the money they take home. You have to take it for what it is. Right. And this all, this whole discussion requires some self-awareness, right? I mean, you know, look, I think, I think what I take away from it is it's easy to just assume, hey, player X is a completely on easy street. And the truth is, and what Chris Pronger is laying out there is that, look, there's still some struggle in this, or it's still not as much money as you think. And so what's the lesson I take from that? The lesson I take from that is, hey, it's, it's one of those simple old ones that, that you, you, your mother or your father might have told you. Like, walk a mile in someone else's shoes. It's not as easy as it looks from afar. Like, that's, that's all it is. Like, I get it. People are struggling. There, there's a lot of people that work their damn ass off every day and can never hope to make over an entire 30 or 40-year career what some athletes are making in, in, well, frankly, what like NBA players make in one season, but what, you know, some even mid-level NHLers make in five years. And so, you know, I, I understand where those people come from to a degree, but not everything is about you. Like when someone makes a comment, you don't have to filter it through like, how does this, you know, compare to my situation? I, I think that, you know, it's, it'd be nice if you can just separate yourself. And, and look, I'm also speaking from a position of privilege you know, I'm not living paycheck to paycheck either. So, I, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to smack down on anyone here, but I, I just felt like there was a real rush in the Twitter sphere to like be offended by this thing. And and I think if you really just look at it plainly, there was nothing offensive in what he said. I hope at the very least those same people who will look at an athlete and will shake their fist at the millions that they might make, even if it is taken away due to escrow and other things, will keep that same energy for the billionaire owners who still get to pocket way more of that money. That's always been my gripe whenever I see people get mad at athletes for whatever whatever money they're trying to make in a contract negotiation or a lockout. It's always going back to the athletes. They're the ones who get plastered and they get looked at as people who are money hungry and all that. And it almost doesn't go back to the owners that that could be a whole separate thing, but I still think it's connected. Well, it is. And look, this is our thing. I know enough of these guys, like it's, it's not easy. A lot of their careers end at like 27 or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, we know you turned the big two eight this week. So imagine you were like having to start a brand new career right now. And a lot of players, the truth is like guys, names you remember that played on your favorite team. Like they make like 5 million career in, in, in gross income. And then when you do the, you apply the Chris Pronger math there, that quickly gets down to about a million spread over years. And then they're starting fresh. A lot of them don't get educated. I realize in some cases that's a choice if they play maybe major junior hockey instead of going to the NCAA. But, you know, it's just, it's not, there's a lot of, the bottom half of the NHL is just really not that wealthy. Again, wealth is really relative compared to certain other parts of the world, of course. But I think that Chris Pronger's point really was that. And, and look, we're having this discussion. I, I guess anything that gets you thinking, that gets you discussing can, can be a positive too. Um, you know, I, I didn't see him out there though. I really didn't feel like the tone of that was like, oh, feel bad for these guys. I think it was just like, hey, here's something that you might find interesting. Um, and, you know, that, that's kind of my piece on it. You know, I wish actually, I've, I've written a story for North Star Bets and the Toronto Star that it's not published yet, so I can't talk about it yet, but it's about a player transitioning. It, it's, it's not directly related to money in this way, but it's sort sure. of, it, it's, it kind of would bookend nicely in this conversation, but I can't yet talk about it. But, you know, just I think that transition can be really tough for players. I don't think anyone should look past that. Um, you know, most people's careers are picking up steam when they get to your age. Right, Julian? I think you're feeling that. You expressed that this week Absolutely. On, on our birthday episode. Like, and, and a lot of NHL players get to this point and, and their careers over, you know, pro hockey players. And, and it can be tough. And, and you can't make that money to make that money go a lifetime can be difficult, especially when you see the inflation rates go up this week as they did in Canada, which is why everyone needs Bitcoin. 
<laughs> uh, I'll just say this with the thread. We should actually, we're saying we should take it as it is. I'll say this, like, for people who haven't seen the tweet, uh, Chris Pronger, it's actually at his name. Uh, the tweet thread that has gotten a lot of people very opinionated with regards to, to money and how that's been divvied out. It starts off by saying, when you hear about X player making $30 million over five years, so $6 million a year, you think, wow, he made it. However, that is not always the reality. In this thread, I'm going to break down how much they take home and where the rest of it goes. And he mentions a lot of different things like federal taxes, escrow, escrow, excuse me, uh, local tax, paying for agents. Uh, at that point, you're you're getting to a point where if that's what you're making, you're making net like $2.8 million. You have to account for a chiropractor, nutritionist, a vehicle, which may cost you about 75000 a year. There's some different amounts for each of those things. And when you account for that, that gets down less to about $2.5 million. Like, it's really, and I understand that, you know, some people are going to be like, oh, well, they should cut off some of those expenses so they can make it a little bit more. Well, maybe some of those people need those things to get in tip top shape. Like, I don't, I don't like the idea of people looking at other people's money that way and thinking, oh, wow, you know, like maybe your car should be 60,000 instead of 75,000. Maybe there's a reason why it's 75,000. Maybe it might be like a big SUV to account for their family. Like you, you don't necessarily know a person's situation, but I thought it was really, I think it's really interesting. And the fact that like, you could be an NHL player. We do this all the time in every sport where we're like, man, they're going to make all these millions of dollars, but we never account for what gets cut off because of their own personal expenses. Well, I would suggest that you follow some players and, and see their lives on Instagram in particular. Like one that jumps to my mind is Connor Carrick, uh, you know, who, who's really good on social media, very open with his life. Uh, you know, I got to know him a little bit. He played for the Maple Leafs uh, during his, his stop to the NHL. I mean, this is a this is a guy, and, and I've never spoken to him specifically about his finances, but you can see he's trying to squeeze every ounce out of his career. I mean, he's he's got you know the nutrition locked in. Uh, he's he's a workout machine. Like like his issue in not establishing himself as a full time NHLer isn't because he isn't in shape. I mean, you you can see it uh, through the work he does and he shares on his Instagram. You know, he spent this entire season more or less in the American Hockey League in Charlotte. And you know, I don't know Connor's age, but I think he's twenty seven as well. Like he's you know, he's still scrapping for his career. And there's there's clearly a huge financial investment to try to, you know, to, to put himself at the top. And obviously part of that is motivated by, you know, he had this childhood dream to play in the NHL. He's played a number of NHL games, but, you know, there's also a financial reward in that. And so, look, I, I, as I said earlier, like, I think we just have to, we should all show each other a little more grace sometimes. Um, you don't, you don't really always know everything that goes on behind the curtain. And, you know, I think the truth is, is it's difficult to be a pro athlete other than the, the top 10% is fairly self-evident that those people really never have to worry about money again. Their, their kids and their kids' kids probably don't. You know, someone like Chris Pronger is in that case. He made over $100 yes. million in his career. But, you know, I, the truth is Chris Pronger played with a lot of athletes and would know a lot of these stories. You know, I, I know in Glenn Healy, who runs the NHL alumni, has told me, you know, some stories of just it's amazing how many players end up sort of outside of their career, divorced, broke, you know, need help from the system. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's a, it's a tougher life than it looks, I think is, is all that, that I've always thought just, just as close as I've been able to get to it. And, you know, I'm not asking fans out there to, to play the tiniest violin for someone who gets to play a game for a living, but, but there's, there's a lot more that goes into it than just what you see when you turn on your TV on Thursday and watch, you know, the Leafs and the Capitals play. One other thing I'll mention too, uh, and it was mentioned on the SDP because they also spoke about Chris Pronger. Uh, there is an episode of Agent Provocateur with Alan Walsh, who, you know, if there's one person who knows, who knows a thing or two about players' money. It's Alan Walsh and the other player agents. Uh, they spoke to Frank Zecca, who is like a wealth manager for some big time athletes like Steph Curry and Michael Phelps. And they go in on the amount of money that athletes spend and, and how they go about trying to ensure that they don't blow it on on stupid things so if you want more insight on stuff like that uh that episode which i believe was released back in november of last year that might be worth your time and i appreciate the plea uh in terms of asking people to say hey you know what just have just consider the athlete and what they're able to take home because it's one thing for an athlete to have the money figures that chris pronger brought up in terms of making 30 million over the next how many years before that gets cut down by other things Imagine if you're making like the league minimum, depending on what sport that you're in, right? Like that is significantly less. 
I mean, still, and I get it, maybe still making a little bit more than other average people, but that, that, that those figures you're looking at from Chris Pronger, imagine those numbers much more decreased than they also depended on where they live as well. Uh, to account for all those things. So yeah, it's, 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 it's food for thought in that regard, CJ. Remember too, this is, this is part of the whole discussion we had around the trade deadline, you know, with the Dadnoff situation, like players generally don't get to control where they play and the cost of living when you play for the New York Rangers is significantly, significantly higher than if you say play for the Pittsburgh Penguins, you know, there's two teams that might play in round one of the playoffs and the, the experience off ice couldn't be more different for a Penguins player and a Rangers player, for example, just in cost of living, the, the tax situation you have in New York, you know, and that's why when players do get the, the no trade clause in their contract or even a limited no trade clause, it's, it's a win for them because they can at least somewhat then control their earnings to a potential. And, and, you know, it's my understanding of that Dadnoff situation, a big reason he didn't want to go play in Anaheim. It's, you know, S- Southern California is beautiful, but, but the, the tax difference on what he pay on his salary next year versus what he's paying in Nevada is significant. It was, I think a million and a half dollars I saw at the time. And I think that was a huge reason why I didn't. That's a million and a half dollars after tax that it's going to be darn hard to earn in his next career. Yeah. A lot of those same people complain about money and salaries, man. And they say, oh, I wouldn't, I, why, why would this person move and do all that? If they were in the same situation, I always think about this with money. Like people who get, who complain a lot with money sometimes, if they found themselves in some of those same tax brackets and situations, I think it, it would be very interesting to see how some of those people react. That being said, like we are in ridiculous times with money and inflation. And I mean, I'm, we're, we're not making NHL superstar money. We're making the money that we have. And fine, we're not living check to check necessarily, but like we we, we get it too on that other side as well, but it's well, more we're planning to work till we're 60, right? Like, like more or less, I don't, I don't, I can't tell you my exact retirement date, but I'm not, there's no retirement coming here soon, unless it's forced retirement. Then I have to figure out what else to do. So. Well, I think we're both millennials, right? So yeah, we're maybe 60 might be ambitious if you're really thinking about it. Anyway. No, I mean, anyway. Look, <laughs> I've always said it. I actually mean this. Like it, let's, let's ground this in here. Like, I've always said that I just want to keep not really having to work for a living. And that's, that's truthfully what this feels like. You know, this has been my dream for a long time to be a sports writer, to cover the NHL. It's such an honor to get to do it. And so as long as I can be doing that and, and, you know, making enough money to to put some food on the table, that's, that's a pretty darn good life I've lived. Yeah, me too. Like I, I'm not, I'm not trying to, you know, be that guy making 30 million a year or whatever it would be nice but like i'm not that's not something i'm striving to do i'd be more than happy just you know making a little bit more than what i'm making right maybe not maybe then again you know what i don't have a family to take care of yet necessarily but when it gets to that point i'll get to those dollar figures later but uh, i'm happy too with where i'm at right now usually the universe takes care of you but don't worry so just just keep putting the right inputs in working hard keeping a good attitude and, and things will work out you too, CJ. You you deserve some of that advice going your way too. I mean, you've done well enough for yourself at the age of forty, but uh, you know, I think there's more. Well, you good know, things you're dropping my head. age. Maybe I want some of the younger listeners to think I'm more in their generation here. My guy, you have a whole Instagram post of you in a field celebrating being forty. You've made so many I'm 40 references. You're practically Mike Gundy from Oklahoma State. I'm I'm a man. I'm 40. And you're out here just doxing me. You're just doxing me to the people. I'm not doxing you. I have receipts. You you let a whole thing. You're like, I have all these gray hairs. You know, when you get to be my age, you know, come on, bro. I'm not feeling fooling nobody. You're 40 years old. Congratulations. You're 40. Remember, I did that Instagram post for a reason. Because my friends were going to come on Twitter and and want to out me like Elliot Friedman or, you know, some of these guys. And so I just owned it and I, I put it up preemptively, essentially, to, to, to own my own news, so to speak. So I had no, cho- I had no choice. I, I had no choice in that matter because somebody was going to tweet, you know, and to be fair, earlier in <laughs> the week, I tweeted that Pierre Lebrun had a milestone birthday. So and anyone that with with a little bit of math can probably figure out which number I'm pointing to. So I do the same to them, too. So I'm not I'm, I'm not out here accusing you of anything, but. Let's face it. We all we all like to have fun. And, and honestly, I'm Peter Pan anyway. I'm 40 going on 18. <laughs> Ridic. <laughs> also, Pierre told me the number two earlier this week, as I wish to happy birthday. 
And uh, all right, I guess that's fine. Uh, you know, yeah. I, I can understand why you wouldn't necessarily want that number out. Well, buddy, uh, now the world knows you're yeah. 28. Like you're going to live in the public for, you know, this next stretch of your life. So we're going to know when you hit 30 and 40 and 50. That's like, okay. It's, it's not going to be a secret when you get there either. That's okay. You know, it's funny, actually, earlier this week, I was talking with a, a friend of mine on the Canadians beat. We'll get to other hockey stuff like the 50 goal scorers. Uh, Matthew Nyes, I have questions about him and just a few other stuff before we uh, wrap up the show. But uh, I, there's a colleague of mine who works on the Canadians beat who uh, works for actually a French station, 91.9 Spa in Montreal, who like sometimes contributes to the morning show, uh, will also contribute to other shows around the network may also cover some other sports around the city and he's 20 years old that's like the first time in a long time where like i heard this like one kid doing like really well he's really young and i'm like okay i feel old like now i'm starting to get that as like a 28 year old i wasn't getting that like 25 26 at 28 now i'm like oh wow these young boys are these young these young people young boys and girls are are coming at me and they're really young and they're really talented i'm not intimidated it's just like wow this is cool this is a serious story they used to call me young chris like I, I <laughs> when I first started going to Leafs games to cover the team, I was 20 years old, 19 Ooh. years, even 19. And like my nickname, like guys like David Schultz and Al Strachan, you know, guys that have, have moved on, they used to all call me young Chris, like for years, like 10 years. That, that was my nickname along a lot of the journalists that, that covered the NHL. And I ain't young Chris anymore. No, you ain't. Sid the kid I'm... ain't said the kid anymore. Like that's, that's kind of how it goes. There was a rapper named Young Chris, actually. Was but there? There no, was no a there relation. Was, no, absolutely no relation. The guy was like a one-hit wonder, pretty much. And the only song that I remember, he he shortened it to YC, and the only song he had of note had Future on it. And Future obviously blew up, but no one really knows Young Chris. In fact, I only realized that rapper was actually named Young Chris. So you're more you're more popular than a rapper once known as Young Chris. Congratulations! I've been in NHL more than half my life, man. That's scary. I mean, it's a good life. I know. Like seriously, sometimes <laughs> I just wake up and pinch myself. Like it's insane. Like, but it's still it, it goes quick. Yes. All right. Let's talk about uh, the fact that so many people are scoring so many goals in the National Hockey League. I mean, we've talked about in the fact of, of, you know, collectively the league has never seen this much scoring, at least not since the 90s. But in terms of 50 goal scorers, something really interesting is going around here. So Chris Kreider is the latest member of the 50-goal club this season. Uh, that's three 50-goal scorers, I believe, for the first time since 2009-2010. And I think the last time we had more than that, at least four or five, I think it's five, was in 2005, 2006. I bet you don't remember who was a 50 goal scorer in 2005, 2006. Oh, well, Ovechkin was one. Ovechkin was one. How many was there? You said five? So five in 2005, 2006. Danny Heatley was one. Danny Heatley was also one. Um, was Jonathan Chichu one? That was the year he led the league in, in goal scoring. 56, I think. So I've got three out of five. You got three out of five. No so you're missing guesses. two. No wrong guesses. Um, Both players are out of the league. Well, that part I would assume. Mm -hmm. Man, that's wild. Only one of those guys in that five are active in the NHL right now. You're going to have to give me the next two. Because I was going to say, like, I don't think Marion Gabrick ever had a 50-goal season. Rick Nash got to 41, but he didn't get to 50. Um, I'm just trying to think of like the great players of that era. I can't think of who else would have got the 50. So Yarmir Yager was one and Ilya Kovalchuk is the other. Kovalchuk, so those five. That, yes. That bothers me more than Yager. That was, that was a, I should have been exactly, I was trying to think of the great players of that era and he was certainly was one. We, we talk about how, you know, if Yarmir Yager, we talk about Yarmir Yager and, and the amount of goals he could have scored. Uh, but like Ilya Kovalchuk is a guy who, if he didn't go bolt to Russia in the middle of his career, like what would we be talking about with his legacy? Like the few months he was in Montreal as a Montreal Canadian getting to watch him just like up close. I still think that's one of the most incredible players I have seen in a Canadian's uniform as long as I've been watching the Montreal Canadiens. I know it was a very short time, but considering how devoid of actual skill and talent they've been over the last decade, him being there was like, it was incredible. Memory, memory scored in overtime and everyone went bananas. Like, 
That was the loudest to that point up until the playoffs. And for as long as I had been going to games, which admittedly has not been very long, that was the loudest I had ever heard the Bell Center, that OT winner against the Toronto Maple Leafs. That's the loudest I'd ever heard them at that point. Yeah. I mean, awesome. I, I've got a soft spot in my heart for Ilya. I think he's is a little bit misunderstood at times during his career. Um, I'm with you. I mean, look, it was a nice story. He went home to the KHL at the time because of family reasons before the Sochi Olympics. And, you know, I almost feel like I can look at it differently now. Like, whatever, that was his decision. He had to break a contract to do it. I realized he had to sort of retire and then there's a whole process to come back. But, you know, he stayed there four or five years if memory serves. Like he gave he gave up something to do that. He gave up the chance to be higher on those records and probably to make more money even in the, in the NHL. So, um, you know, it, it is it is one of those what ifs. I mean, this this generation is full of what ifs because yes. this generation of players, like even the one that came before it, like they either lost an entire 0405 season or half of a 12, 13 season to lockouts. You know, there's, there's the pandemic now. Like, like, I mean, look, it's just, I think there, there isn't a player. I spoke earlier this year to Mike Medano about, uh, about Austin Matthews and his goal scoring. And Mike Medano is the, the, the leading goal scorer among us born players in NHL history. And, and he's, he was ruining, like, he's like, I don't know where my numbers could have been without these lockouts. Like, I feel like every player can have that caveat to their career. Even Yarmir Yager, like as crazy as his numbers were, you know, he lost all that time too. And he played three years yeah. in, in the middle in the KHL as well, which again, he his, did. Own, his own choice. But I mean, he's, his, his NHL numbers look a little different without that. And I guess way back in the day, Gordie Howe spent like a significant amount of time in the WHA. So his NHL numbers are impacted. I mean, I suppose this is, there's always been these, these, these strings running through time, but um, yeah, I think we have to account for that when looking at hall of fame credentials and all that sort of thing is just that, some players missed opportunities. Even Sidney Crosby, actually, the best he ever was as an individual player, in my opinion, was in the run-up to that 2011 Winter Classic. Like, he went into that Winter Classic leading the league in points by, like, 25, and we were midway through the season. And then, obviously, he gets the concussion there and in the next game and, you know, basically misses a year and a half of his career right at his absolute peak. And, and obviously, he's had a wonderful career. We talked about him getting to 1,400 points earlier this week. But – like he he lost probably a hundred to two hundred points right there, just just by missing that point point in time. And so, you know, I guess that's part of being an athlete. Obviously, staying healthy is it's it's a skill. I know there's some luck in it, but there's there's a lot that goes into it. You know, Alex Ovechkin. That's probably one of the untold parts of his career. It's not just that he's going to be. You know, talk about fifty goal scorers, Julian. I, I would I would put the house right now on him getting four more goals and getting to fifty this year. Um, and you know, it's just his longevity. He's barely missed games throughout a career. And, and man, he didn't, it's not like he played soft. Like he threw a lot of checks. I know he's a big guy, but you know, he, he, he wasn't, a, he didn't shy away from the, the, the nastier elements of the game either. And, and he's just been so durable and then continued to play at such a high level. I mean, that to me is his brilliance. You know, we're seeing Matthews probably have arguably a, a singular season better than Ovechkin but he's got to do it like eight more times on some level like this to even have a career like Ovechkin's. And that's going to be difficult, not just for Austin Matthews, but any player that comes behind him to match. And even Ovechkin, like, just like, as you were mentioning all these other players who have had, you know, what ifs in their career, you can easily look at Alexander Ovechkin's career and say, well, the lockouts might have slowed him down. And some of the coaches that he's had throughout his career might have slowed him down as well, considering how they tried to either play him on the off wing or tried to make him different than what he was as he was trying to be a Stanley Cup champion. Like, I think we could be looking at a guy who should be a lot closer to that goal scoring record if it weren't for the lockouts and if it weren't for Adam Oates trying to play him on, on the opposite way, right? Like, ah. So well, many factors in his career. True. And I think that's, but that's going to be at play with every longevity record. If you, if you stay in the league long enough, shit's going to happen. Like that's just yes. a fact, right? You're going to have a coaching situation, a teammate situation, a playing situation, injury situation, you know, work stoppage related situation. Like th th you're going to have to kind of battle through those things to get to the all-time records. And, and that's, what's so cool in a lot of ways about the fact that he's been able to put himself there. Like still not, still not a lock man like it's it's uh i mean he you you can see the path but you know it, it's going to be difficult i think it'll be interesting to watch these next few years where he gets but as i say i i would i would be stunned if he got this close and fell short of 50 just because you know, i believe it would be his ninth 50 goal season with time for the all-time record just in number 50 goal seasons so um you know that in itself would be quite an accomplishment and and you know his teammates will be feeding him you know that Every power play is running through number eight for, for the rest of the year if it didn't already. And, and 
you know, I just think he'll find a way. Okay. So that answers a question I was going to follow up and ask in terms of other guys who are knocking at the door of 50, because you're right. Alexander Ovechkin is a lot closer than Connor McDavid, Kyle Connor, and Kuro Kaprizov, who are also in the mid forties. But I have a weird feeling, even though there's like a handful of games left, we could still, I could see Connor McDavid doing it. I think Connor McDavid, I think he's on like 42 now. Like he could, e- I think he could easily get to 50, which again, he's never done in his NHL career. Kyle Connor, maybe a little less. Kuro Kaprizov, maybe he gets to 40, maybe he gets to like 45, 46. But Connor McDavid, I could easily see also making that. So just as you're as confident that Con- that uh, Alexander Ovechkin can do it, I'm still confident that Connor McDavid can be at least, I think he can do it. I think he can also get to 50 this year. Well, I would take a prop bet that one of those three gets there. I mean, they're all at 42 goals as we're recording this. They all have about 10 games left. So it's not easy by any stretch. But, you know, as we saw with Austin Matthews, it's almost like a magnet. Like the closer you get to that big number, like some of these guys, and you're right, McDavid's McDavid's the one you would you would most tout as, as being able to do it. You know, we saw him rack up points at a crazy rate last year as he got close to 100 in that shortened season. Um, you know, I, I could definitely see a push there. I mean, it's it's not going to be easy. Uh, you know, Austin Matthews is the only one who makes scoring a goal a game look like it's easy or it's not, not you know, hey, yeah, anyone can just have eight in a 10-game stretch. But, um, you know, 50 is an awfully tempting number. And it feels like, okay, I'm, I'm putting Ovechkin there as number four in the barn. I think we're going to get a fifth horse as well. Which, again, would be the first time since 2005, 2006, we would have had as many 50 goal scores. We already have matched uh, the last time we've seen this many at three with 2009, 2010. That was the last time we had three. And then in 05, 06, we had five. I still can't get my mind around the fact that that Chris Kreider is like is, is a 50 goal score. Like Austin Matthews, yes, that makes perfect sense. Leon Dreisaitl, yes, that makes perfect sense. Chris Kreider, who off the top of my head, I don't think had ever scored has he ever ever been like a 30 goal scorer before this year? Maybe I'm wrong and Rangers fans. Yeah, he's been a 30 goal scorer, but 50 okay. is 50 is a big That's leap. A, it's a big leap from what we normally expect from Chris Kreider. I, I don't remember exactly what was his previous goal total before. Uh, but like that, that's still he's having a fantastic season with the New York Rangers. I don't know if he'll he'll probably he might he might not ever reach that height again, but that is a guy the Rangers are gonna have to depend on in the postseason this year. And man, like the Rangers, I I'm, I think they might win around this year. Yeah, and we're totally sleeping on them. It's funny, someone was in my DMs the other day saying, like, I dare you to talk for 60 seconds about Rangers on one of these episodes. So, okay, you want to put, you want me to put on the timer now? I guess, well, no, I mean, point, <laughs> his, look at his point is well made. We, we haven't spent a ton of time on the Rangers. It's like they've been a bit of a perplexing team, but, but you can't ignore how late in the season is and how, how they've kept it up. I even remember Julian being at the all-star game in Vegas and, and Chris Kreider was there representing the Rangers and people were talking to him about, you know, can you push for the rocket Richard and all this because he was right in that mix. And, and I was thinking like, you know, it's, it's a nice story, but realistically this isn't going to be, and, and, you know, obviously he's not going to win the rocket Richard at this point, but like give him credit. He stayed on that pace. He stayed at 50 goal pace. He got to 50 with lots of time to spare. I would expect he'll pop a few more in at minimum. And so like, that's a tremendous season. And, you know, he's been a really good player. Like, I don't, I just, he wouldn't have been, if, if you said there's going to be a breakout 50 goal scorer that sort of nobody's expecting uh, from the non dry Matthews Ovechkin group, then, you know, maybe who are you guessing? Maybe David Pasternak or something, or, you know, but like my point is, I'm not sure Chris Kreider, you would have, we would have got through 20 NHL players probably before we got to Chris Kreider. And that's maybe egg on our face, but also just, it just shows like there, there wasn't a lot to predict this. You know, much like Roman Yossi getting to 100 points potentially here or 95 or whatever he ends up at, like he, he'd been a consistent, really strong, productive defenseman at about 60 points per game, 50 to 60. This this leap is so far beyond what you could have guessed. So um, hats off to him. It was a cool moment when he when he got number 50. I saw he said, now we can move on. Now I can just go back to being, you know, being in the way in front of the net. That's another thing. He scores a lot of his goals right from a, a tough area. You know, he's not. It's not, it's not off the rush or it's not all um, in, in that way. And so he's, he's earned a few bruises, I would think, along with those 50 tucks. I should also say uh, he's a two-time 28 goal scorer. He's actually never hit 30 in his career. He's been very close on two occasions. But Chris Kreider before this year was never a 30 goal scorer. And now he has himself 50, which 
It's awesome. Hats off to it. That is very awesome. And the Rangers and have been one of the great stories this year, Julian. Like I agree. In the sense that, you know, I, I, they were very optimistic, obviously. But, the, you know, there was some – they had a changeover at the management level. Um, you know, what's interesting, too, is, like, you know, Capo Caco, Alexi Lafreniere, the, these guys aren't the ones driving this this turnaround. Like, I, I still think let's, let's cool our jets on making any predictions about where they're going um, because it does take some time in some cases. But a lot of this is driven by players that have been there. Um, you know, they moved on from Tony D'Angelo. Like they, they've they found Braden Schneider has come in and played well. Like they've they've it's just been interesting. It's maybe not been driven by what you think. And then obviously having Igor Shosturkin, you know, who I still think is is winning the Vesna Trophy this year. Although the GM's vote, not me, so I don't have a vote. Just just an opinion based on how dominant his season has been. That the gap he has in terms of save percentage on on his next competitor, how great his team's been because of him. Um, you know, you're right. The Rangers are dangerous that first round. And, and it feels like Penguins Rangers to me. Like, I know it's, it's still yeah. a little bit of a toss up, you know, Washington, I think would like to battle its way out of a wild card spot. You know, the Capitals don't want to be facing any of those top teams in the conference. Nobody does. Who wants to finish in a wild card spot? You're probably playing Florida or Carolina. So, you know, I think those are, <laughs> those are two tough series uh, for whoever ends up getting those ones. So, you know, the, the last two and a half weeks are still to play out here, but it, it feels like Penguins Rangers for like the hundred second time um, is is going to be what we get. Are you allowed to vote for the Jack Adams Trophy? No, that's the NHL broadcasters. So I, I don't I don't vote on that award either. As as would you not? Okay, so I mean I don't have any voting power yet, you know. But uh, we'll get to that another day. Uh, but I but I would hope that Gerard Gallant would get himself some votes for for that award as well, considering of how good the New York Rangers have been in spite of everything that has gone around with this team since they sent out that letter to now. And, and they've, I think they're a little bit overachieving, but I, I think it's well-deserved. They're, they're playing really well. A lot of the reasons why I thought Igor Shosurkin's case for a heart trophy might be kind of dampened a little bit is because of how good some of those other pieces have been around him. And I think Gerard Gallant deserves a ton of credit and he deserves a considerable amount of consideration for a Jack Adams trophy. I would think he's top three. You know, I, I don't know how that voting will go, um, but it tends to be, player, you know, coaches like him that win it, you know, guys whose teams do overachieve to a degree, you know, it tends to be coaches who get some good goaltending too. Uh, if you look back over the history of the winners and, you know, I, I've always kind of wondered why the great coaches, like, like the, the coaches of teams like John Cooper doesn't win, right. Or Jared Bednar, like those players, sorry, those coaches rarely win the award because I think everyone expected their team to be great and they were great. So it's almost like the voters see it as well. You just did your job. Whereas, you know, it tends to be teams that are a little lower down the overall standings who who get their their coach a Jack Adams award. And, you know, we'll see if that's the case here. Yeah, I keep saying Jack Adams trophy. It's Jack Adams award. I don't know why trophy. I mean, I guess it's a trophy, but there's an actual title for it. But anyway, uh, we talked about the New York Rangers. I hope Rangers fans are happy, I guess. How many times do you get people in your direct messages or tweeting at you saying, talk about my team? I, I didn't expect it to happen as much as it did this year. Yeah. In the ask CJs too, like, you know, I'll get yeah. a lot of questions with that flavor to them. Like I'm asking this question because we know you'd never talk about my team, but look, there's 32 teams. That's, that's, it's not a lot of real estate to go around. I think what we'll do before the playoffs, Julian, is, is we'll go series by series. We might even do maybe yes. two shows if we can. We'll see how it goes. Like one for the East and one for the West series. But I think we should, we should dive deep on a series, make some predictions, and then we'll make sure we're talking about all the, the teams in the playoffs. And then obviously when we get to that point in the year two, there'll be off season news for the teams that don't make the playoffs. And so I think we'll, we'll, we'll get to everyone eventually. We're, we're not intentionally biased, but, but you know, some teams are more interesting or compelling than others for a whole host of reasons. I, I see you've already looked ahead at my planning for, for postseason episodes. Yeah. Cause yeah, obviously we're going to look through series by series, especially for the first round and look through some of those teams. Maybe we didn't give as much love to, uh, but there's still a few other teams I want to talk about before this show is over. That being said, I do want to ask uh, with all the college free agents, uh, not sorry, not call it, not just college free agents, but also players who have been uh, drafted and all that. Matthew Nyes is not a college free agent for what it's worth. Obviously a draft pick of the, of the Toronto Maple Leafs. But there's been a lot of activity surrounding college players. And I just wanted to know where the Maple Leafs are at with Matthew Nyes. They were supposed to meet with him, I think, yesterday uh, in Minnesota with Kyle Dubas. I believe that was said on Insider Trading on TSN. Uh, hey, what a, yeah, pretty great segment. I, I missed you on that last one, though. It would have been nice to see your face. 
Yeah, we're down to two man ITs for just for April. So we each get a day oh. off, like basically one day off a week uh, from doing it, which is it's a nice break. So I appreciate you missing me, but it, there's nothing untoward there. Like my Coburg Papa was like all on me. He's like, everything okay? And I was like, yeah, everything's fine. They're just like giving me everything. Calm down, dad. Don't worry. I haven't been been released. It's just we're, we're yeah. having a little lighter schedule post-trade deadline. Um, but I, I, I'm with you. So Matthew Knees, yeah, he... I believe it's nice. Nice. Sorry. I, this is. This yeah, is the, the knees nice thing. Like, what is it? This is the name, though. It's like when I look at it, like I can't, for some reason in my brain, like it just like there's something goes um, with this particular name. And unfortunately, he plays, he's going to play in the city that I live in. So I better get used to it. Yeah. Um, but sorry, Matthew. I'm going off James Duffy's pronunciation. By the way, can I just say, um, shout out James Duffy, who sent me a happy birthday message earlier this week. And it has literally made like it, it like I I literally was like shaking for like five minutes. Anyway, uh-huh. I just had awesome. to mention that. Just had to mention that. But anyway, Matthew dies. Go ahead. Yeah. The Leafs met with him this week. Kyle Davis flew to Minnesota. I had a meeting with him. I think it's pretty clear to him what the opportunity is in Toronto. The reasons the Leafs, you know, are welcoming, are willing to extend him an entry level contract, sign him right now if he wants to turn pro. You know, and he has a decision to make. And he has some unfinished business. You know, his team didn't win the the, the Frozen Four. And, you know, I, I think it's a tough choice in, in some ways because, you know, it's it's as appealing as it would be. He's seeing all his, you know, not necessarily teammates, but just his his colleagues, essentially. You know, Matty Beneers is like playing in a game for Seattle, right? Owen Powers jumped from Michigan. He's, he made his debut the other night for Buffalo. Um, you know, go down the list. Even guys like Brendan Brusson, you know, is, is signed with Henderson, is playing the American. Ben Hockey Myers League. just signed in Colorado. Right. Like these, but these guys are jumping Ken Johnson right into the Columbus lineup. And so made his debut against the Canadians the other night. Right. And and so there would be an opportunity here to play for the Leafs before the end of the regular season if you wanted to, uh, to, to start making money, to start training with NHL level staff every day to to be on the ice with Austin Matthews at practice and, and all those things. But then, you know, there's, you can never really go back. Right. I mean, you can go finish your degree uh, through summer schooling or what have you, but you can't go back to this, the, the life you have as an NCAA player. And so, you know, he's, he's weighing his options. I, I don't know that it'll take too long for him to come to determination, but you know, as of when we're recording this, I don't think he's made up his mind. And, and you know, I think no matter what he decides, he can't really go wrong. And that's probably the, the benefit of this kind of choice. I mean, it's like, Hey, do you, do you want to join an NHL team right now? Or do you want to wait a year and you can join them at this time next year? Uh, and you can still have a great student life and, and do what you're doing in NCAA, still be dominant, play huge minutes and all those types of things. But, you know, the, the least organizations really pumped about them, uh, you know, drafted him in the second round last year, didn't have a first round draft pick and, and his career trajectory has gone really well since that draft day. So um, I, I'm, I'm reasonably certain whether he signs an entry-level deal right now or in the spring of 2023, he's going to have a lot of opportunity to play for the Leafs. And they're a team that's going to need players on cost-controlled contracts, right? Michael Bunting didn't just get a spot on the Leafs. He's playing on their top line and having a great year. Um, you know, I think those opportunities will extend down the road because, because of the cap picture, because of a flat salary cap. They need guys making under a million dollars that can play. And, and that, that's, that's a good spot to be in if you're Matthew Nice. Is it also too early to ask, if he were to sign this year, how he would fit in that Leafs lineup, like what he would, what role he could play, like how would that work in terms of incorporating him into the Maple Leafs lineup? I think it's too early to ask. I mean, the one thing I would say though, is if he signs and then they get, you know, and they get into some injuries or something, I mean, maybe, maybe he plays higher up than we're even guessing, but, but more than likely if we're being reasonable, look, they have players in the American hockey league, they have a fair amount of depth. And, and I also don't think we should expect them to walk in the NHL and dominate anything or, you know, that there's going to be a learning curve there. And so, um, you know, really what's being offered to him though, is a chance to, to get in some games now to, to get a nice sense of that learning curve, to get with the staff, to get around the team and to know this summer as he goes through his, his off season work that he's preparing to be a pro now. And, and, you know, it's just a different level. I mean, the NCAA has proven to be such a great grooming ground for NHL players uh, for a long time now, but it, you know, these last 10 years, we've seen it more and more and more. But, you know, it, it gives him a chance to really know what his future is. And so, you know, I, I think that that's, that's probably the appeal if you're him. And then, look, it's every kid's dream. that Anyone who gets to that level of NCAA hockey is dreaming of playing in the NHL. So he's a chance to live his dream here in the next few weeks if he signs an entry-level deal. 
Okay, I want to move on to two more items before we get to stick taps. Um, I want to talk about, uh, well, actually, a shout-out, actually. Nathan McKinnon gets himself a hat-trick against the Los Angeles Kings. And we know the Colorado Avalanche are very good. They were excellent. They beat the Kings 9-3. to But that race in the Pacific of looking at the wild cards and the way the division could stack up, we were talking about it earlier this week, very interesting times. Do you know how many more playoff teams the Los Angeles Kings get to play against before the end of this year? I do not. Zero. I think Colorado, that, that lost them. That's the last team currently in a playoff position right now that the Kings will play against before the end of the year. Meanwhile, Vegas, a team that was looked at as one of the top teams to enter this season, they are still fighting for their playoff lives. At My man, though, no, that can be dangerous. I think like these I know. teams out of the playoffs at this time of year, the guys are loose. They're booking their offseason vacations. They're, they're, you know, <laughs> like it's been a long season. Might as well just let her fire. Like I think sometimes those non-playoff teams scare the lights out of you, even when you're when you're probably better on paper, more more stacked, more skilled, all those things. Sometimes those non-playoff teams are not a pushover in these late season games. Okay, that's something to consider with the Los Angeles Kings, who uh, I don't remember all the teams they have left to play off the off the top of my head, but at one point it looked as if we were going to lock them in a playoff matchup against the Edmonton Oilers. Meanwhile, the Vegas Golden Knights also fighting for their lives. They lose an OT to the Vancouver Canucks, a team who uh, maybe their chances of making the playoffs aren't so great anymore, but it would be fun to imagine them surprising people. Uh, but it is, but as we we're saying earlier this week, this is a, this is a division and a uh, playoff race to just keep an eye out over the next few days. And uh, some pretty interesting times between those teams. It's still way too early for me to try to decide who's going to make it. I think I'm just going to play it out and not try to predict it here. But uh, I'm going to try to keep more of an eye out for teams out in the West. Anyway, I like that. I like that. I, I, I mean, we both like that too. Of course we do. Um, one other thing I want to mention, uh, the Winter Classic was announced yesterday uh, that uh, it will be in Boston for 2023, January 2nd, 2023 at Fenway Park. I believe it'll be the second time it'll be at Fenway Park, the Pittsburgh Penguins and the Boston Bruins. Uh, Fenway group, Sports Group owns the uh, Pittsburgh Penguins uh, for people who didn't uh, remember that. Remember when uh, the group bought uh, a controlling interest in the Penguins late last year. So kind of interesting. Two teams technically under same, actually not technically, they are under the same ownership group playing against each other in the same Winter Classic game. Any thoughts? Anticlimactic announcement, of course, because we knew this was going to be the matchup for a little while now, but it's official. Um, they're actually not on the same ownership group, but the Fenway Sports Group owns Fenway um, and owns the Penguins, but doesn't own, and, you know, Liverpool, I believe, soccer team and a few other yes. items, uh, and the Red Sox, of course, but they don't own the, the Bruins. So, yeah, it's, I think that, that hook on it's interesting. You know, we, we still I want to know more about the Fenway Sports Group, like like what their plans are. A lot of eyebrows are raised when they bought an NHL team in Pittsburgh because they own sort of these call them high marketing teams in, in a number of leagues. Obviously, there's some crossover ability there. And then, you know, having this event in their building, I think it'll be it'll be from a business standpoint. I'll, I'll be curious to see what they're doing there. Um, and it is the second time at Fenway. I remember being at the first one. It was Philadelphia and, and Boston. In that game, I think it was two one final late goal is in my head. I was there, but uh, a few a few other games have happened between that and now, so my, my brain might be a little sketchy on some of the details. Um, but you know, I, I like the Winter Classic. It's it's a fun event. Julian, I'm going to manifest in the universe. You're going to cover one of these soon. Maybe you'll be in Boston for your New Year's this year. Okay, um, there's worse places to spend a New Year's in Boston, so I, I'm 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 putting that out there for you. All right, cool. So uh, 2023. Winter Classic in Boston, manifested in the universe. I'll be there for what? Hey, I would love that. I'll even li I'll live blog the damn thing if you want me to. I, it doesn't matter. On the road. Who knows? Ooh, I like that. I like that idea. The CJ show live from Boston for the Winter Classic. That would that would actually be a cool idea. That like maybe we can get that expense through like Adam or something. I don't know. That'd be funny. Um. I, I, speaking of, I mean, we're at stick taps, unless there's anything else you want to add on the winter classic. No, um, this I is guess all I'll, my big Thursday energy. I, I only got you to there. Okay. Well, I, I there's, do you want to just give our stick taps to Adam? It was his birthday yesterday. That was literally going to be my stick tap. You jerk. <laughs> <laughs> okay. How about this? How about this? Um, 
I'll give my stick tap to Jesse because his birthday, Jesse Blake's birthday was on the 9th of April. And you can give your stick tap to Adam, whose birthday was on the 13th. Yeah, it's a SDPN birthday week. Crazy. But uh, stick tap to Adam, another tour around the universe, spin around the sun. Awesome guy. I'm really, really grateful that he's given us this opportunity to have this podcast. This has been so much fun this year, Julian. And, and um, wish him the best. You know, forget the work stuff. Just wish him the best in his life. Glad to, glad to be along for the ride, Adam. Yeah. And uh, I will send my regards to Jesse Blake, who... Uh, you know, we look at at we look at Steve Dangle as the face of the network. We look at Adam as the guy who kind of runs the money stuff. But Jesse is the Jesse does so much. He's the soul. I think he's somebody soul who, in the operation. I don't know, man. Like if if you, uh, here's what I think. Like sometimes I feel like if you just left it to Steve and Adam just to do things, maybe some stuff would get done. But I don't think it would look nearly as good, or they wouldn't get nearly as much stuff done. Jesse does so much for the network behind the scenes, making sure the merch in the store look good, making sure the font, like the the typefaces for everything, like just look good. Like he is the dude who does so much for this network, and and obviously his own stuff, the Jesse Blake Sports Report, which. I, I guess they're going to keep that name or maybe they'll have it be something else. His own streams. I know he's trying to get that Stanley cup with the Toronto Maple Leafs one and 67. Those are genuinely entertaining pieces of content. And he is able to do that on his own. And I don't think we give him enough credit. So Jesse, a uh, happy birthday, dude. Uh, I think he's in his thirties now, if I'm not mistaken. So congratulations yeah, to him. It was 30. Nice round number. Yeah. Here's the other thing. What are we like? I'm like the pinky finger in the operation or the big toe. Like, I don't, I don't know what appendage uh, we get to be, but I never oh, think about appendages like that, but like, I would imagine you are, I mean, you have to be a significant core of, of the body like, here. Like, like Steve dangles the face. Okay. Adam maybe is like the brain. Yeah. Uh, Jesse's the soul. Yeah. He's like the, he's like the heart. He's like, the, he's at the heart. Yeah. So you have to be like, uh, I'm the pancreas. What? What of all the different body parts? <laughs> I'm just Why would you say pancreas? <laughs> 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 if you're a pancreas, then what the heck am I going to be? Like, I don't know. You might, be the big, you might be the big toe, brother. Like, we all we all got a role to play. Hey. And uh, let's face it, we're we're down the list. So hey, thanks, for the, hey. thanks for the guys at the top for let, letting this this thing fly. Hey, hey. Big toe. Uh, I, do you think I give off big toe energy? Is that what you're trying to say? I'm <laughs> uh, just going to leave that one there. Yeah, there's a faction of people who might watch this podcast who might think very differently. But anyway, uh, that's going to do it. Uh, before we start talking more about feet on the CJ show for this week's CJ show. You crazy for that. Anyway, I'm just playing. Um, subscribe to the SDPN YouTube page. Subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to our podcast. Um there's a lot of great shows, Agent Provocateur, uh, Steve Dangle podcast. Go back to the backlog of Noxie and Cax episodes if you would like. Uh, the Jesse Blake Sports Report, I'm sure, will come out with more episodes, maybe with its current title, maybe with a different title. Uh, I'm sure they're not going to say anything about Big Toe or Feet in that show. I'm just going to bug you about that. <laughs> the pancreas. Yes. The essential uh, pancreas of the operation. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a good liver, man. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, I'll just wrap this up by just saying um, uh, join the SDPN Discord because if you think we, we make jokes here, you should go on the SDPN Discord to see how it really gets down. For CJ, I'm Julian. So long. Peace. And chicken grease. The Chris Johnson Show. Inside the game, twice a week. Follow Chris on Twitter, at ReporterChris. And follow Julian McKenzie, at JK McKenzie.